Hi, everyone. Anthony Fantano here, Internet's busiest music nerd. Hope you're doing well. And it is time for another episode of the Needle Drop Podcast, where we go over a roundup of the best reviews of the week on both the Needle Drop and Fantano channels. And we have a good handful to bring you today. We are going over the new EP from Richard D. James, a.k.a. Aphex Twin, which is a bustling and intense bit of futuristic IDM with lots of insanely dense production. Spiritualized has a new inspiring and passionate album out titled And Nothing Hurt. If you like your rock music grand and showy and lavish with instrumentation, then give this one a shot. Uh, Atlanta rapper slash crooner Black is out with a new record, East Atlanta Love Letter. We're going to go over that. Also, No Name, Chicago rapper and poet, has a brand new independently uh, released album out, Room 25, definitely one of my favorites of the year, beautiful little record. We also have some track reviews of brand new tracks from Jid, Little Uzi Vert, and strangely a posthumous track from Tentacion and Little Peep. All of that together in this new episode of the Needle Drop Podcast. Chill out, get ready. Here we go. Ba bam. And it's time for a review of uh, the new Apex Twin Collapse EP. Electronic music legend Richard D. James, he is back with a new EP in a pretty steady stream of music that he's been dropping ever since he made his comeback with his 2014 album Cyro. Truth be told, though, a bulk of what Richard has released since he's come back hasn't really grabbed my attention all that much. A lot of it's underwhelmed me. Whether it be the sanitized minutia of Cyro or the uh, very skeletal analog synth sound palette of the Cheetah EP, there just hasn't been much material that has moved me as greatly as a lot of his classic works, even I I care because you do. This Collapse EP, however, really did stop me in my tracks, mostly due to the teaser track to this thing, T69 Collapse, and I was kind of hoping the rest of this five-track EP would just follow suit. What's so stunning about T69 is that it's an imaginative, texture-rich, and bustling piece of IDM with a futuristic aesthetic, very busy rhythms, glitchy synthesizers, and multiple compositional phases within the song, too. For the five minutes that this track lasts, Richard does pack quite a bit into it. Keeping track of every sound and every progression in this cut would be a lot like just reverse engineering a complex math problem. The speedy introductory rhythms, the rubbery analog synth bass. The second third of the track is a total change-up, presents these really unsettling synth passages backed up by these intensifying rhythms that get faster and faster as they build up. The track goes from sounding like this really smart, clean, futuristic electronic music to complete digital dystopia. Then Richard returns to a lot of the original music themes in the last leg of the song, expounding on them. The first 44 is a spacious cut with these very busy and strange rhythm patterns, some strange echo-drenched vocal samples too. Honest to God, it kind of sounds like something that Death Grips would rock on No Love Deep Web. Between the really rough synthesizers and the dry, complex, punchy drums. Richard's approach to evolving the tracks on this EP isn't too much different than what he was doing on Cyro, but the sounds, the presentation this time around are pretty much bolder, louder, and darker too, especially when he floods the mix with these waves of sour synthesizers that sound like 
He's trying to soundtrack a dance-a-thon between the voices in my head. The track MT1, TR29, R2 is a bit more of a melodic earworm, where the synthesizers take more of a lead role than the rhythms, with the stuttering lead synth melodies at the start of the track that are pretty fantastic, then some mystical arpeggios that cause a total mood shift at one point in the song. It's really like everything the song had built up until that point gets pulled out from under the track in about a minute in. And this song actually breaks down to a new lonesome spotlit idea and builds from there multiple times across its runtime. And uh, not, not in a bad way, it's pretty exciting. I feel like each shift on this track just gets stranger and stranger. I kind of feel like I'm playing a video game and I'm going down to uh, another level uh, into the underground as, as I kind of plow through this one. However, on the track Abundance 10 Edit, I didn't feel like every transition was gold here. Uh, a lot of the shifts, especially toward the end of the track where Richard uh, presents this more laid back beat, it, it doesn't really kind of keep up the momentum of the whole song or at least the shifts aren't jarring enough to kind of keep things engaging. And meanders throughout the whole second half, especially as Richard presents this very spacey, reverby outro passage. Just didn't really find the atmosphere to be all that evocative, even though it is on, on a lot of the other previous cuts here. I wouldn't say Pethex is one of my favorite tracks on the EP either, though I do think it ends things off on a relatively strong note. It definitely features one of the more focused and fluid progressions throughout the EP, even with a few jarring ideas thrown in here and there. And it may come down to the analog synth bass and the groove of this track, but there was something about it that just felt very vintage, almost as if he had conceived or produced this track like 20 years or so ago or something, which was a, a little jarring because every other cut on this thing just felt super, super contemporary. Less of a thrilling excursion on this track and more like a, a, a welcome return to uh, some familiar territory, I guess. But overall, I thought this EP presented a really solid and enjoyable handful of songs that were really intricate, worth swimming into, had a lot of sharp and interesting musical progressions throughout. Definitely my favorite EP that Richard has dropped since he's come back. I'm feeling a light to decent eight on this thing. Transition into the next review. And it is time for a review of the new spiritualized album, And Nothing Hurt. This is the latest full-length album from Jason J. Spaceman Pierce and the gang under the spiritualized name. Truly one of the most unique and transcendental rock bands of the modern era. And their nearly 30-year trajectory as a group has been an interesting one. As so few rock bands out there have been able to so successfully embody both the future and the past in their music. Rock and roll and soul and garage have always been a foundational influence for Jason Pierce's songs. But over the years, he's built on those influences with some choir-sized background vocals, lush instrumentation, and dense, shoegazy sonic experiments. His humble songs about love, loss, faith, and personal turmoil are often blasted off into the stratosphere with this orchestral-sized backdrop of instrumentation. Then just add a touch of surreal and mind-bending sound play, and that is pretty much the secret sauce of Spiritualized. And we're hearing it again on this new LP, but in a somewhat diminished capacity. In some respects, Pierce does try to make this album sound grand by layering the usual instrumental suspects on top of each other, but the production quality of the best and most recent spiritualized albums is way better. Much brighter, more spacious and panoramic, and Nothing Hurt is pretty dense, but it's 
a lot more narrow in its field of vision, which does leave the sound of the album feeling a bit more scaled down, even sonically smudgy at points, leaving Jason's very meager voice to get lost in the haze of instrumentation, especially on cuts like The Prize, which is kind of a shame. I do think it is one of the better cuts on the entire LP. It has a very powerful song about love and mortality. And I think some of this change could be very intentional for Spiritualized, as it seems very apparent the band are shooting for something that's a bit more toned down, sleepy, intoxicating, and intimate. Not quite as heavy and powerful and overwhelming and in your face. Maybe Jason is trying to put more focus on the songs themselves as opposed to the instrumentation surrounding them. It just doesn't feel like this album is trying to wow me with an IMAX size display of, of sound, but rather just woo me into a stupor that's kind of sad kind of druggy, but still pretty powerful, with these very soft and thick rock and roll ballads and some real art rock ragers too. The songs The Morning After and On the Sunshine heap on loads of cacophony. Just super noisy guitars, just building higher and higher and higher sonically over a pretty straightforward garage rock groove. Very familiar stomping grounds for spiritualized. They're really wearing their uh, Velvet Underground influence on their sleeve as these songs very much feel like they're in the spirit of classic tracks like Sister Ray, but with way more clarity and harmony. It's just exciting bliss. It's like listening to uh, James Brown at the Apollo, but on LSD. Then there are these depressing and like I said before, intoxicating slow jams, which can be Pretty captivating, pretty beautiful, but occasionally muddy to the point where I think it takes away some of the appeal of the song. Occasionally leading to some flaccid results on a song here or there, like on the closing cut, Sail On Through, which sonically comes off very flat and gray, despite the heaps of instrumentation that are thrown into the mix. Which includes some droney tones, some choir vocals, and orchestral drum rolls. The song Here Comes the Road is another pretty fantastic ballad on the record, but it is hindered by these weird clicking, cycling guitar sounds that are some odd effect that really kind of distracts from the tune and isn't quite as experimental or as interesting as Pierce might have thought it was when throwing it into the song. This very same sound actually turns up on the opener too, but it's way quieter, more subtle, and I think applied much more effectively. Again, for Here Comes the Road, it's kind of an experimental blemish, but I still do like the very beautiful and straightforward blend of rock and roll and soul on this track quite a bit. Let's Dance is not a bad song on the album, though it is kind of predictable for Spiritualized at this point, a linear ballad that gets heavier and heavier and more grand in presentation as it plods along and has a pretty uh, beautiful and harmony-rich instrumental finish, including lots of horns and some weird laser effects too. Again, nice moment on the album, but not anything spiritualized hasn't done before and with a much bigger presentation and better production. But honestly, the low points of this album aren't even really that low. They are relatively enjoyable at the very worst. There are a good deal of quality highlights here. The more aggressive tracks I cited earlier, the song I'm Your Man, which is a beautiful and romance-drenched rock ballad in three time. A song that, looking at the chord progression and the lyrics, should have been written like 30 times over at this point. I actually thought it was a cover at first. The uh, sound of the song and just the lyrics, it, it sounded so friggin' familiar. But still, it was really captivating, it was really beautiful, and of course Spiritualized put their dense and heavy and 
uh, harmonious spin on these older forms of, of rock songwriting. For the most part, they're doing it as well as ever. I love the touches of piano on this track too, the explosive passages of drums and harmonized guitars. The song Damaged is another dreamy and intoxicating ballad in three about being a very broken and dysfunctional and lost person. Themes that Jason still approaches in his lyrics with a lot of heart. The band pairs this song with some very dense and trippy layers of guitars and strings, it's actually one of the few moments where these heaps of instrumentation bleeding into one another in a kind of cacophonous way actually benefits the sound of the album quite a bit, as those strings, the electric guitars, and some bells, it sounds like, too, kind of melt together in a pretty psychedelic way. The previously mentioned opening track on the album is pretty great, too, another testament to Jason's love of, I guess, writing these very somber ballads in 3-4 on this particular album. And really, that's kind of the bulk of the record. It's it's one of the shorter releases in the spiritualized discography, 48 minutes or so, nine tracks. A lot of the songs run out at about four or five minutes, no super dense, huge, powerful, gargantuan builds throughout this record either. Overall, I think it's a decent album. There wasn't anything overtly bad about any of it, but maybe people who haven't been fans of the band up until this point uh, might have a hard time finding uh, anything exciting about this record, considering there isn't a lot of intensity and thrills in the track listing here, save for a few moments. If I was recommending this band to somebody, I, I wouldn't necessarily throw this album in front of them first, mostly because it's, it's not a very large or a bold statement, certainly not as grand as the band's last album, even though some people do kind of see that as a flawed record in, in their discography, uh, especially not uh, uh, their debut, uh, especially not Ladies and Gentlemen, vastly superior records to what Spiritualized have delivered over here. What I see this album as is the band sticking to their guns, handing audiences what they kind of expect at this point, and doing a relatively good job. Certainly this is one of the more downtrodden records in the spiritualized discography. But despite the lack of novelty, I didn't really dislike the album, didn't really have a bad time listening to it, was still pretty captivated by a lot of the songs, thought the performances and the tunes were generally pretty passionate and beautiful. Not a whole lot to hate, but certainly not uh, much I can say for longtime fans looking for something different, or maybe people who are new to the group too. Uh, not things I can cite, hey, you're gonna freak out over this, really, honestly. I'm feeling a strong six to a light seven on this thing. Transition into the next review. And it is time for a review of the new Black Album, East Atlanta Love Letter. This is the second full-length commercial album from Atlanta-based songwriter and rapper, Ricardo Valentine, a.k.a. Black, who suddenly turned up on people's radars back in 2016 with the major label backing of Interscope Records, landed a gold debut album with Free Black. However, I did not cover or talk about the album at great length because there was just so little on it that really grabbed my attention, stopped me in my tracks. As instrumentally and vocally, the record felt pretty common and trendy for the current R&B field. It was still a starter album though, so I was hoping that future records would be a bit more bold and distinct, that Black would grow into his own just a little bit more and show exactly why he has the level of attention that he does. But unfortunately, excitement for Valentine's music still really 
eludes me. I understand if you're into this because you're really into the sound, you're really into the trend, you're really into the vibe to the point where you just can't get enough of it. Any record that sounds like this, you're pretty much sopping it up like gravy into a biscuit. You're eating the cereal, you're tipping the bowl, and drinking the milk. And I'm not even trying to dismiss the whole trend because over the years it has come out with some great records, it has come out with some pretty memorable and distinct artists. But this new album pretty much sounds like a faceless and bland blend of Weekend, Drake, and Bryson Tiller. I could not tell you who made this album if you blindfolded me. On a blind taste test, I could not tell you who made this record. This thing is pretty much above average instrumentals topped with emotionally flat vocals, which for an album that is mostly led by singing, there's very little in the way of vocal range on this thing. And in terms of singing style, Valentine only sounds a shade or two less robotic than our boy Nav, who dropped an awful album earlier this year. Again, for an album mostly based on singing, there is very little singing on this record that's actually stunning or even passionate, despite Valentine's best efforts to work more personal effects into his lyrics, his entry into fatherhood. Occasionally, the songs on East Atlanta can be topically focused, like when Valentine is really on his Drake shit with the song Pretty Little Fears, a pretty dreary track about a failed relationship with J. Cole following Topical Suit in the second half. It feels like this story extends onto the song Disconnect 2, where Black sort of portrays himself and another person as just being two lovers who are at a romantic impasse, a disconnect. Miraculously, this song is actually my favorite on the entire record and features some of the most expressive singing on the entire project. The song's scripture seems to be all about Black's change in mood and worldview ever since seeing success in music, talking about his humble beginnings in music too, saying, I wrote this in a hotel the size of a closet just to show you that I could do it, just to show you that it ain't much to it. If you got your hand out, don't be surprised when I look at you stupid. Where were you when it was me and the music? But even in his most braggadocious moments on this song, the lyrics are rambly, the pacing is slow, and the sound overall is still pretty breezy. The song structurally is almost non-existent. Despite the fact that this song is kind of a big flex, I'm hearing very little worth flexing on. The final track, Stan, kind of flips the script on the obsessive fan trope, talking about falling in love with a fan and kind of vice versa, and likening his love for this person he has in mind to the infatuation levels of a Stan. It's a fine closer, it has a cute little descending melody on the hook, but even with this track being one of the steamier songs on the entire record, overall it's just pretty mild. East Atlanta just feels like another album of spacey R&B wallpaper, because there is just so little about this record that pops out. I mean, it's listenable, there's absolutely nothing on this album that is overtly offensive, but there's very little on this thing in terms of memorability too, or excitement, or thrills. And I get that's not exactly this subgenre's MO, but it's not really all that sensual or intoxicating or uh, sad either. It's just like this very gray, plain, even, constant sense of numbness. Right from the album's opening track, Unfair. Which sounds like a soulless R&B robot trying to mimic human emotion over the same subterranean and cavernous tones that you've heard dozens of times on records just like this already. The following track, Loaded Gun, despite its kind of grim and dark title, 
leaves a lot to be desired in terms of mood and flavor. It's got some pretty tight and depressing production, I suppose, but again, the singing is shockingly underwhelming, especially in the second leg, where it's about as mundane as the lyrics themselves. I appreciate the grind he's trying to illustrate in that song. I appreciate some of the personal effects that he throws in there, but it's not put all that interestingly. And his very even and somewhat monotone delivery doesn't sweeten the deal either. I kind of like the heavy bass and the strings and the slow percussion and the droney distant pianos on the album's title track, but it's yet another moment on the album where the singing puts me into a bored stupor. And this track features Future on it, which I assumed going into it, he would kind of break things up. He would bring a little bit more of a change, but instead, Black and Future just kind of layer on top of each other for a little bit, very little in the way of vocal chemistry. Their voices don't even sound good meshed on top of one another, but I guess at least it's not as comatose and blobby as the Khaled feature on the back end of the album. The song Let Her Go picks up the tempo of the album a little bit more, but without the overly moody and atmospheric production, I feel like the record inadvertently exposes just how generic it is, because everything from the vocal melody to the mid-paced trap beat is so nondescript that it's like this album is doing everything in its power to be as ordinary as possible. I pretty much feel the same way about the song Switch, also slightly more up-tempo in comparison with the other tracks here, though it does have a slightly chunkier and grimier beat. And why are Offset's vocals mixed almost twice as loud as Black's vocals on the track Balenciaga Challenge? He kind of sounds like a background singer on his own song. Again, very few tracks and moments on this record that I would say are, are, are boldly terrible or subpar, but with everything on this album just being so unbearably dime a dozen, the, the, the whole record just itches at the back of my psyche with just how painfully average the whole thing is. I could see other people enjoying this a lot more than me, considering just how much of this album's sounds are in vogue at the moment, but to my ears, there's really absolutely nothing on this album that puts Black anywhere near the top of this field right now. As it seems like this album's intent is more to just blend into the background of alternative R&B than it is to either innovate within it or even write genre-defining songs. Songs that say this is the sound and the representation and the cream of the crop when it comes to this time, this era, this musical movement. That's, that's, just, that's just not here. I'm feeling a strong four to a light five on this thing, Tran. Zition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new No Name album, Room 25. This is the latest full-length album from Chicago rapper, poet, songwriter, singer, Fatima Warner, AKA No Name, who built her name up in the midpoint of this decade with multiple features with the likes of Chance the Rapper and Mick Jenkins, a little bit before her breakthrough mixtape in 2016, Telephone, a tape that featured a smart and endearing blend of hip-hop and jazz and neo-soul. Despite the very low-key and humble sound of Telephone, there's actually a great bit of power and beauty in the, uh, the gentle demeanor of this record. And now, two years later with Room 25, No Name is still not in the mood to overstate her presence. With one soft-spoken verse, 
on this album after another, quite literally, as spoken word and, as I said before, poetry are a huge influence on No Name's whole rap style. On this album, No Name backs her bars with instrumentals that embody the currently conscious wave of jazz rap coming out of the Windy City, and the feature list of this thing sees her knee-deep in fellow Chicagoans like Saba, Adam Ness, Smino, Raven Linnae, and there's not a huge sonic change-up on this album. No Name pretty much sticks to her guns, maturing and growing in her lyricism, and picking some better instrumentals, some more flowery, lavish instrumentals. The lyrics throughout this thing are pretty sharp, pretty smart, full of quotables, full of lines that make me go, oh, and full of lines that make me go, oh, 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 that hurt in the heart. And I would hate to say the word instrumental one more time, but the instrumental choices on this record are really part of what lights the whole thing up. As I said, more lavish, bolder, they're more beautiful. They give the album much more versatility than I think Telephone had. They also give No Name the ability to get a bit more ambitious melodically with her voice too. Like on the gorgeous cut window, No Name's second verse on this track is pretty sharp. It's like this passionate, lengthy breakup screed enhanced with some jazzy music box notes, some dramatic strings, and twinkly harps. The luscious vocal harmonies from who I believe is Felix on this track absolutely kill it. Quit looking out the window! Then there's the relaxed and string-backed jazz rap of Don't Forget About Me, a beautiful track about love, family, legacy, death. I think No Name in a very funny way explains the emotional vibe and potency of the song by saying that uh, at one point on the track that she needs D'Angelo on this one, who is obviously a, a pretty clear influence on the track too if you were to go back uh, to his his past full-length album. The super gentle and subtle vocal melodies that No Name brings to the track are fantastic, but really it is her deeply poetic lyrics that win me over much of the time. I know everyone goes someday. I know my body's fragile. Know it's made from clay. But if I have to go, I pray my soul is still eternal. And my mama don't forget about me. And she goes through other family members hoping they don't forget about her too. The track Montego Bay, definitely one of the more lively and bold cuts on the album, prominently features Raven Linnae right at the start. The track has all these angular jazz melodies executed with these scat vocals, a killer bass line. The groove on the bass is stellar, it's top notch. The tone kills, it sounds like it's picked too. Raven's vocals are gentle, they're nasally, they're cute. No Name's verse on the back end of the song is easily one of the most playful and tongue-in-cheek on the entire record. There's even a point where she kind of breaks down and talks about how problematic she is for getting really sexually explicit. The only major issue I have with this track, though, is that it has this sudden fade-out ending after playing out the instrumental a little bit. I feel like it could have used a bit more song structure, just a bit more something else at the end. And unfortunately, this is a problem I have with quite a few songs on this album. There aren't a whole lot of super strong finishes or quick, clean transitions in the track list of this record. And I know the tunes on Telephone didn't have a whole lot of structure either, but the album all around felt pretty lo-fi and rickety and, and very bedroom, very DIY, which was a part of its appeal, part of what made it so cool. However, on this new album over here, it seems like No Name has really evolved past much of that amateurishness, while still managing to keep the sound of this album super organic. I'm just hearing a lot of improvements on a lot of fronts, and I think that 
Structurally, uh, specifically with the endings, there could have been a bit more attention paid. The sudden finishes of these songs really only kneecaps their quality when the song, in my opinion, ends sort of prematurely, especially when the tracks have a very chill vibe and sort of breeze by without making uh, that bold of a musical statement. Even on these shorter tracks, No Name does bring some relatively captivating lyrics. Talking about tracks like With You and Regal, even the bold and very political black exploitation to a degree. Despite how much I enjoy the very current and Afrocentric political themes on the record, which I think are super necessary, I just wish there was a bit more to the song. I also kind of enjoy the super rickety beat and the vocal snippets from a variety of sources placed throughout the track. Kind of reminds me of something off of an old MF Doom album. Despite its short runtime, though, Self is an amazing start to this record. Excellent tone setter with its jazzy instrumental style and no names, very personable and cheeky lyricism. Her sharp wit and her sense of humor are on full display with this song as she's kind of explaining uh, the appeal, in a way, of this album, saying, maybe this is the album you listen to in your car when you're driving home late at night, really questioning every god, religion, Kanye bitches. Maybe this is the entrance before you get to the river. I had him before the heathen no reason for you to like me. Maybe this is your wifey just wanting a clean divorce. The baby ain't really yours. That's really for baby's teething. The chicken wings under seasoned. I mean, she puts it all much better than I do, but I love how much care and love and attention uh, she puts into kind of guiding the listener in in a, in a very warm and, and welcoming way and getting them to think about her music and what they're about to hear in kind of a meta way. Other highlights on the album include the mystical and groovy prayer song, one of the more somber tracks on the album here where No Name brings these very grim bars about an empty American dream juxtaposed against these, these wishes, these desires to reach out to or maybe be helped by a higher power. On the song Part of Me, Felix kills it once again, layering on these lavish vocal harmonies that really kind of steal the show. Don't even mind hearing the guy on the album twice because he does so well each time he appears. Benjamin Earl Turner actually pulls through as one of the better features on the album too with his thoughtful lyrics, his uh, expressive delivery, some of the flow change-ups. I, I did kind of think in my first cursory listen of the album, though, that, that like, whoa, did Kendrick pop in on this shit? Is this Kendrick? He has a bit of a, I don't know, a tonality to his voice that reminds me of his, though I think it, it may be him, I don't know, just kind of uh, uh, subconsciously borrowing a bit. No Name also gives this album a very nice and warm sense of closure with the closing track too. Though the instrumental is not one of the boldest on the entire record, I do think in a lyrical sense she does wrap up uh, a lot of the themes and emotions of the album quite nicely, and actually kind of puts me in the mood to just listen through the entire album all over again. Overall, Room 25 is a beautiful little project, much in the same way that Telephone was when it dropped. But since then, No Name's music has only gotten more gorgeous, more charming, extravagant, poetic, funny, and entertaining. There are a few underwhelming cuts on here that I wanted a little bit more out of musically or lyrically. Again, some better endings. But overall, as an album, I thought this thing had a great flow, a lot of character, quality production, raps, singing, melodies. No Name does it once again with this brief and beautiful album. I'm feeling a decent too strong eight on this thing. It's track reviews. And it's time for a track review. Atlanta rapper The Kid Jid 
Dreamville Zone, he's back, new single, album on the way, DiCaprio 2 is the title of the record, 151 Rum is the big taster from this forthcoming album, it is produced by Nice Rec and Christo, let's give it a shot, let's give it a try, let's see what's going on, a lot of people seem to be getting pretty hype over the single as he does have a pretty strong growing fan base, and a lot of people see Jid as a, a nice, refreshing breath of fast lyrical air in the contemporary hip-hop landscape at the moment. Let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. 151 Rum. Ba-bam. <laughs> Not a bad track, not a bad taster, I guess, though it doesn't really feel like much more than a taster. I mean, it's not exactly a a track that I could see going viral. I mean, it's just two minutes and change. It's a chorus, it's a verse, and then a chorus, and then that's it. It's donezo. Uh, The production is all right. Uh, The Hi-hats are kind of grimy, a little dirty. The bass is rumbling, pretty heavy and aggressive. And I like that um, distant a little vocal sample that's uh, pitched and looped into the background. Uh, beat is okay. Beat is all right. Not, not the greatest, most interesting beat I've ever heard. Just kind of sounds like another minimal uh, trap instrumental with, uh, you know, some nice dark textures on it. As far as Jid goes, it seems like a pretty straightforward verse. Uh, Excuse me, a little all over the place topically, uh, addressing some of his usual themes of uh, poverty and violence and faith, obviously a pretty grim outlook on things. Socially charged phraseology, I guess, is also how I could put it. Really, if anything makes this verse stand out or special for Jid, it's uh, just the speed at which he raps, the interesting flow he approaches this track with, the dun 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 Like, I actually find that really catchy and pretty hypnotic and impressive, too, especially some of the internal rhymes. And when he speeds... Up after that whole, uh, I wish the that bullet missed him, but it didn't. And since then, I've been living with it like a sickness, which is not only a sick line, uh, but the speed at which he hits a lot of lines after that bit in the verse. Again, pretty cool, and it's refreshing. He does it well. It's it's obviously a technical feat, but he doesn't get too masturbatory with it, and uh, he's not trying to, I guess, push it to a point where it just becomes obnoxious or. Uh, the sound of it is is no longer musically appealing. So again, I mean, it's a cool listen. It's a cool short little listen. It's a nice taster. It's not all that substantial though. You know, it just seems kind of like a short little motif, a vibe, a rough idea he's throwing out there to get fans' ears and mouths kind of watering for this forthcoming album. Um, and granted, it's it's probably doing that to some degree, though I wouldn't really say what he's doing here sounds all that different from a lot of what landed on his last record. Because, I mean, we've, we've already known up until this point that Jid has the technical ability to do this, you know, and there are maybe only a few lines on this whole track that, that really truly stood out to me, not blowing me away or anything. I, I wish there was just a bit more to it. I suppose. But regardless, I am pretty psyched for his 
forthcoming project. Uh, it just, I think, would have made a better and a more interesting splash if he came through with a stronger song and topic on this uh, inaugural single over here. Lil Uzi Vert, he has a new single out. It's titled New Patek. And uh, it's coming from his forthcoming record, Eternal Atake, which you guys might remember I talked about a little earlier this year because his cover art on the record angered the Heaven's Gate cult. New record on the way, new single out. Hopefully uh, it's great. Hopefully it's a taster of what is to come. It's five minutes long, so kind of lengthy for Uzi, uh, especially considering that he's he's all on his own on this one. So maybe some kind of beat switch or something on this track. You know, it's five minutes of material. It's a lot for uh, for one man to handle on his own. And a production by Dolan Beats. So with all that being said, everything uh, that we need to know, let's give it a shot. Let's give it a try and, uh, and see see what's going on. New pet tech. Ba-bam. Yeah, just felt like an average little Uzi Vert track for me. It, it sucks because he's one of these rappers out right now that I can see clearly how he's influenced some younger rappers that I like or some rappers who have put out projects recently that I like. I can see that he has his own distinct style. When I hear an Uzi song, I know I'm listening to Uzi, but the issues I've had with his songs in the past, save for a few tracks like off of Love is Rage 2, obviously uh, Love Exo Tour Life, that's a great song too. But save for those few tracks, I feel like with this new song over here, this new single, I'm running into a lot of the same issues that I've had with Uzi's music in the past. I just don't really care for the strained, nasally tone that his voice has typically, and I feel like it's uh, super pronounced on this particular cut over here. I just find it really obnoxious. And instead of making me kind of get excited or just kind of chill and relax and enjoy the song, it puts me on edge in a really annoying way that uh, just makes it difficult for me to get into what he's doing. And there are rappers and singers out there currently who do equally weird things with their voice, uh, Playboy Cardi, freaking Young Thug. But I just feel like with Uzi, there's not a whole lot of vocal versatility. He just doesn't ease up off of that gas pedal all that much and gives us, I don't know, some different vocal tones, a bit more melody. He does have some decent flows on this track when he speeds it up, although um, there were some moments in the third verse where it felt like he wasn't as on tempo as he could have been. Uh, Lyrically, the track is okay. He has some funny one-liners here and there, though again, I think his flows and I think his delivery kind of distract away from any appeal that his lyrics might be bringing to the table on this track. And even though there are some lines on here that I think are funny like that, um, I don't know, I need water to breathe, so I put... uh, ice on my tentacles. I'm like an octopus. That line I thought was pretty funny. Um, But outside of that, uh, you you have some lines on here that sort of counteract uh, those moments, like the uh, spot on the hook when he's uh, saying, have a shower, you might stink. And I just don't really care for this this flow. He draws up these really tight, repetitive flows on a lot of his tracks that to me just get 
really repetitive and stale very fast, especially on this song, which, as I mentioned earlier, it's five minutes and 43 seconds, which is pretty long for an Uzi Vert song. Not a whole lot of Uzi Vert tracks go up to that length. And uh, me personally, I, I really felt it. I really felt it because the it really did kind of get on my nerves after a little while. And as I had crossed my fingers for earlier, uh, no major musical or instrumental switch-ups on this track either. Uh, just an intro, chorus, a lot of choruses, uh, some lengthy verses that didn't really have that much lyrically that was stunning me, you know? Um, yeah, my boys on the block selling O's, no Cheerios. Uh, the Naruto shout out was pretty funny. Mostly a lot of brags about just, uh, designers that he's wearing, what's on his wrist, uh, people biting his style, which uh, of course I give him that because there are a lot of people biting his style. Uh, I just happen to think that there are other artists out there who share artistic commonalities with him or have built off of what he's done and are just a bit more versatile with it or are writing songs with catchier choruses. Um, I think Uzi Vert certainly has an aesthetic, you know, and and that's the thing. It's an aesthetic that I don't mind sometimes that I like, Uh, but I don't think he's as strong a songwriter as some of his contemporaries are. So as a result of that, I just continue to have issues with uh, enjoying his stuff. I didn't find this song to be as obnoxious or as grating as some of my least favorite Uzi Vert tracks, but it's uh, by no means a, uh, a favorite of mine in his discography. But having said all that, I've never really kind of gotten 100% into the Uzi Vert hype outside of a few tracks. So I guess take what I'm saying here with a, a, a grain of salt. I'm going to be talking about this new cut, this new posthumous cut from both Little Peep and XXX Tentacion falling down. It features some co-writing from I Love McConan, of all people. Haven't heard from him in a while. Kind of interesting to see that he's tied into this song. Maybe in its infancy, he would have had some performative input on it, but it seems like it's been narrowed down to the two biggest names that are essentially going to drive a whole lot of uh, attention toward this track. Also features some co-production from Mike Will Made It and is coming out under Little Peep's name, but also Columbia is tied into the whole thing too. So there is a a major label connection here. And as far as the timeline of the the creation of this track, from what I've read about it, it seems like Little Peep had passed away. Then Tentacion was taking part in the recording of the song. It's not like they collaborated in the studio together in person is essentially what I'm, I'm trying to get at. So let's give the song a listen. Let's give it a try. Let's see what exactly this posthumous track is offering and go from there. Okay. Um, I guess I have a lot of thoughts about this, a handful of different thoughts. I guess the first thought I'll throw out there is a contextual one. I feel like the sound of this, the vibe of this, is very much the new wave. It's very much the next wave. This whole emo rap thing, I can only imagine how much bigger it could become over the next few months, over the next year or so. And then on top of that, how much bigger it could have potentially become if these two were still alive and still kind of pushing the narrative 
in this direction. Uh, that being said, though, given that it seems like <laughs> we essentially have really a pop song, it's barely a rap song. Yeah, it's it's pretty much just a pop tune, which to me sort of says like it's it's really kind of coming full circle here. Um, it's got kind of a peppy beat with somewhat bright instrumentation, but with a, some moody melodies, some hand claps in the percussion. Uh, not really super crazy about X's singing voice on the track. There's a portion where they throw in what feels like him talking to a camera, maybe on social media, just about uh, how he wishes he could have met Peep and that Peep's passing made him want to check out his music and learn more about what he was doing and his sound. And, and he mentioned, I guess, feeling remorse over that, or I guess the, the mindset of being pushed towards an artist's music or checking out an artist's music after they've passed, because uh, that remorse tends to kind of bring in uh, some curiosity, I guess. Uh, Peep's vocals to me felt pretty strong on the track. I guess I'll say, I think it's kind of interesting how instrumentally and structurally, this song is pretty clean and straightforward. I don't know if this is exactly how things would have ended up had both of them been alive when this song was 100% finished and released, but it certainly feels like this whole emo pop rap thing uh, is sort of cleaning up and, and, and getting ready for uh, a lot of mainstream attention. You know, it really does feel like it's being groomed to be as widely appealing as possible. And and now with songs like this embodying the the spirit of emo as it was in the mainstream over a decade ago at this point, I, I feel like the music is also embodying a lot of things I didn't really care for when it came to mainstream emo back in the day, which uh, a great deal of it back then I didn't even really like when it was sort of a new, refreshing, exciting thing. Uh, not to deride emo entirely as a genre, that is not my intention. And there are some tracks and artists uh, who I either enjoy or sort of expect big things from when it comes to this new wave within the rap community. Juice World, namely, is a, a prime example of that. But I just feel like the overly saccharine instrumentation, the super melodramatic and kind of cliched and I suppose uh, tragic lyrics on the track I thought were, uh, I don't know, either, either a bit uh, predictable or I guess not really all that intriguing. Maybe some of the phrasing or uh, uh, word choice or uh, uh, verbal illustrations were a bit basic, I suppose, uh, like come let's watch the rain as it's falling down, sunlight on your skin when I'm not around. So basically when I'm not there, things are fine or it's a sunny day or I'm raining on your parade or when I'm near you, it's it's a darker time. It's blacker. It's drearier. Uh, ish, don't feel the same when you're not around. So come let's watch the rain as it's falling down. Um, not lyrics that really excite me personally. I would like to think that, again, if this track was finished when both of them were still around, that there would have been a bit more to it, a bit more meat on the bone, as it pretty much just feels like an overextended hook with X kind of singing for a little bit. Then they throw kind of a 
narration tribute from a bit of social media somewhere, toss that in there just to pad the track out so that it doesn't feel like just a a, a random two-minute cop-out. And honestly, to me, that, that doesn't make it feel any less like, hey, we have a label here trying to, I, I guess, basically profit off of the internet drama that will be stirred as a result of hearing both of these guys on a track. Uh, it, it just kind of feels like uh, the corporate machine tossed this thing together and, and released it. I'm going to leave it at that. Those are my thoughts on the cut. And that has been another episode of the Needle Drop Podcast. I'm Anthony Fantano, your host. Make sure to hit us up on Twitter, twitter.com slash the needle drop, afantano on Instagram and youtube.com slash the needle drop. Also, youtube.com slash Fantano to catch all of our reviews and more. Stay up to date with all of that. Hope you guys are doing well. Also, shout out to Jonah, who produces and cuts this podcast together. And we will see you next week. Keep on listening. Remember to subscribe and drop a review for the podcast as well if you are enjoying us, kind of pulling this together in this convenient format for you guys. And uh, let us know online any way you can uh, what you think we should uh, review next or any sort of segments or ideas you'd like to see in future podcasts. All right, you're the best. Anthony Fantano, Needle Drop Podcast, forever. Forever.